Good morning. Um, when Sarah was saying that, um, she said, those kids don't forget. God said, I don't forget that either. When we give to God, he doesn't forget that. He remembers that. So, God does not forget when we give to him. God is not easily swayed. He's not bought. He's not, you know, we're not tipping God. A friend of mine says, we don't, t- we don't throw money into the bucket because we're tipping God. We're giving because we love God, and we know that he doesn't forget. And everything we do, he sees. He sees the condition of our heart, and he sees where we are at. Um, but how awesome is that, that he doesn't forget? <coughs> Guys, remember that our wives don't ever forget. <laughs> we know that, you know, it's like, remember when you left that there? I'm like, I don't remember what. You know, guys remember what we did 20 minutes ago, maybe. But our wives are like, uh, you said you were going to take care of that like six hours ago. And we're like, I don't remember that. But God always sees, always remembers. So when we, when we are working for God and we are doing stuff for God, he says, I see your heart and I see who you are. And I know and I remember what you're doing. So as Sarah was saying, um, this morning I got up and I was like, God gave me another scripture to add to my message. So I went up and, and typed it into my message. And then I went down to my iPad and turned the, the Wi-Fi on to it. And, and I thought, okay, yeah, it'll sync to my iPad and then I'll be good. And I went, went to my iPad. I'm like, man, why is it not syncing? So I went back up to my computer and it was the one line that I originally typed early this week for the message. I'm like, oh. I'm like, Jesus, no, please, please, no. So I'm, I'm, I'm like, okay. So I'm like, Wi-Fi on, Wi-Fi off, Wi-Fi on, Wi-Fi off, nothing. I'm like, oh, wait, there's a restore button, little button up there, find the restore, drag it to the time. I'm like, thank you, Lord. I'm like, thank you, Lord. And then I copied and pasted the new scripture in there. I was like, okay, God, you got my back. Technology, it's beautiful, but sometimes it's, it's a mess. Um, especially when you have, like, as many devices as I have. But God always takes care of me. He can even intervene in technology. So... God has a calling for every one of us. God has a destiny for all all of us, and he has a purpose for all of us. Our job is to dive into God and into his word to find out what that is. We all have people that help us find out what that is in our life. We need people to help us find out who we are, what our calling is, what our destiny is, and, and the purpose that God has for us. Without people helping us to find that and without... I'm not saying you can't find that on your own, but we need people to... There's something in a community of believers that helps us grow. We challenge each other. We, we encourage each other to grow into a deeper relationship with God. And as believers, we have an identity that we have to find in order to walk into our, our calling, our destiny, and our purpose. We might have a glimpse of it, and we might walk into a glimpse of it if we, if we don't have a full identity, but when we receive our, when we are born again, we are, in that song it said that we're brand new. We're redeemed, we're brand new. Something is washed away. Something is brand new in us. He doesn't just like, okay, I'm just going to wipe the, you ever had a, a, a whiteboard and you wipe it down, but there's still the streaks. And if it hasn't been clean, you can still kind of read the letters somehow that they wrote in there. God doesn't do that. He doesn't come up there with some Windex and wipe you clean. He says, oh, by the way, throw that out. I get a new board to write on. I get a new marker board to write out your destiny and the plans and purposes I have for you. So 1 John 1, 
12 through 13 says this, and this is the ESV version. It says, but to all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He says he gives us what? The right. He doesn't instantly make a, he doesn't say you're forced to, he gives us the right to. We can be born again and we can be sons and daughters of God, but we, we, don't, we have the right to act like it or not act like it. We have the right to choose if we want to become a son or a daughter of Christ. Or of God, excuse me. So when we became the children of God, that means we have certain rights. My kids know that when they go into the house, they can go into the refrigerator and they can get things out of the refrigerator. They, yeah, everything. I find wrappers in the pantry. Like, oh, there's fruit snacks. Like, there was fruit snacks, but there's just wrappers now. One time I found it with Sarah, but... Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And my kids know they have rights. Like, this morning I woke up and my cell phone had, like, this weird brown stuff all over it. And I was like, um, uh, Layla, did you use my phone while you were making no-bakes? Yeah, I kind of did. And there's, like, <laughs> ch- chocolate all over the buttons. And, and luckily there's a case on it, but... She knows she has the right to use my phone. She knows that she can go and say, okay, I just want to, I'm going to use dad's phone if I want to. She's like, it was making this weird funky noise, so I tried to shut it off. But God's the same way. He he knows that his kids are going to come in and take things from his pantry, from his table, from his storehouse, because he's given us the right to walk into that storehouse. So we have the right to become children of God. So when we receive Christ, we say, you know what? I want to be a child of God. I want to be your child. I want the, the things that come from the household that he lives in. I want the rights and the privileges to, that any other child would have in the house. So we have certain rights, we have certain freedoms as his kids, and we have legal right to what is heaven's. So when we become his children, we have legal right to what is in heaven. A lot of people know that they're sons and daughters of God because they read the scripture, but what happens is they forget that they have legal right to call down what is in heaven to earth. The whole mission of, of Jesus on earth before his, his uh, death, burial, and resurrection was to teach people how to bring heaven to earth. He taught them in a, in a prayer how to pray and what to pray. But he was showing that as a legal son of God that you could call heaven into earth. You could call heaven into someone's body. You could call heaven's finances into your finances. You could call heaven's... Um, peace into your life. So we have legal right to what is in heaven. So our mind has to be set and aligned with heaven to receive from heaven. We have to align ourselves, and the start of that comes into salvation and, and becoming a child of God. So we have, to, we have to align ourselves with heaven in order to receive from heaven. We have to be able to understand what is in heaven to be able to receive from heaven. Um, I was talking with somebody um, a couple weeks ago and they, and they were saying how 
God made me sick because he was angry at me. And that, and that mindset scared me. I didn't, I didn't correct them because I didn't want to correct them. But the guy's like, well, you know, I just I feel like I got sick because I, this was just God teaching me a lesson and, and, and punishing me for what I did in my past. And that song we just sang, it says our past is gone. But people hold on to their past. They hold on to the, you know, and sometimes we as parents remind our kids of the things that they did wrong. And, and it's like, and then when you get done reminding them that what they did wrong, you're like, I probably shouldn't have reminded them that. I should have shown them grace and mercy and just said, you know what, you did wrong. You knew it was wrong. And we move on from there. So the cool thing about God is he's better than us as parents. God is a way better parent than any of us. And he knows how to, to talk with us and he knows how to relate to us even when we sin. But that entire time he's trying to teach us the same thing that we try to teach our children, the identity of what is right and what is wrong and how to walk into the identity that he, he wants us to. So we have legal right to go to the Father. We have legal right to go to his supply because of Jesus. So as his sons and daughters, that means this, that we are royal. God is the king. Jesus is the prince of peace. But it also, calls, it also says in the Bible that he is our brother. So if he is the prince of peace and God, our father, is the king of kings, that makes us royal. That makes us prince and princesses. And it allows us that identity allows us to have access to God. So we have to have a regal mindset, like kings and not paupers. Too many of us come to God like paupers instead of princes. We go to God and say, oh, uh, you know, God, if you, you know, we do this, and like we're, we're begging for something, we got the cup out, shaking it, you know, come on, God, I need, I need throw me a bone here, I need, I need 50 cents. We stand, a lot of times we stand in front of God, God like a panhandler with a sign out that says, God, we'll work for food. But think about it. That's how we come to God sometimes. We'll work for food. We'll work for your peace. We'll do anything for you if you give me this. And what are we doing? We're coming to God like a beggar instead of a son and saying, God, you have peace. Can I have some? Or just going in and taking his peace. So we, we stand out there and we're, we're shaking. You ever seen a dog? When, it, when it's all like, oh, I knew I did bad. That's how we come up to God sometimes. We're like, we're, we're wiggling and we're, you know, cowering to God. You guys all know that, that dog that you scolded and they, and they get on the ground and they're, they're barely crawling across the ground and they're, they're wiggling and they're all nervous. Why do we go to God like that sometimes? I found myself, I was, a couple of days ago, I was like, I was saying, you know, you know, this and this. I'm like, oh my gosh. That wasn't, I'm like, that is completely opposite of God's character. I just caught myself. All of a sudden, I was sitting there talking to myself. I'm like, well, if God wants it, I'm like, wait a minute. Like, no, no, absolutely not. I said, took that thought, throw it out, and said, no, no, that is not who God. He wants me to have this. So we have to take every thought captive to our identity because what happens is the enemy says, I'm going to come in. I'm not going to destroy your life. I'm just going to keep you from understanding who you are. If I can keep them from understanding that they have full access to God and legal rights to what God has, I'm going to destroy them. I don't even have to do anything to them. Because they're going to destroy themselves coming to God going, oh, I need a, you know, get the sign, you know, you know, like, oh, please give me something. He goes, if I can keep them as paupers, they'll never live as princes. 
when man sinned, we went from someone who was deployed by God to earth to bring heaven there to someone who was employed by the enemy. So when we're born again, God says, you're now my sons and my daughters. I can deploy you. I can send you out as, as emissaries, as ambassadors. But the, the enemy says, I want to keep you as a pauper and as a beggar outside of the gates of, 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 of heaven going, oh, if, you know, asking for somebody if they come by. Why do you think Jesus spent so much time with beggars and the sick outside the gates? Because he was saying that these people have just as much importance as the people inside of the gates. But we live our lives outside of the gates, you know, just huddled up on the side. Going, do you have anything for me? Waiting for, for royalty to go by. you have anything for me? I need some money. We'll work for food. And God's like, I need you to march through the gates. Your identity says that you can walk through the door. You don't have to knock. Most people in our that come to our house don't knock. How many of you guys knock when you come to our house? No, rarely. John, every now and then, if he doesn't know if we're home or not. But many, most people, we say after you've been to our house twice, you can get into the refrigerator. You don't have to knock, just come in. You don't have to act like you're a visitor because you're not. You're part of the family. And God says, don't have to knock on my door. You don't have to asked to get into my refrigerator. You know how much food I went through when we did youth? The kids would just come in and like, I'd be like, yeah. I'm like, where's all the food? We just bought food. And they just come in, just, you know, half a gallon of chocolate milk, kids walking around the yard with it drinking. I'm like, come on, man. I'm like, I didn't even get any yet. I'm like, but so many of us, even when we catch ourselves, well, like, you know, I, this is mine. But every now and then, we'll, we'll, I'll catch myself saying, well, you know, if God would do this for I'm like, wait a minute, no. I am his son. I'm not a beggar. I have to catch myself. I have to take that thought captive of this is the identity who, who I am and uh, who is my father and how he relates to me. I am his son. I'm not just like, you know, you know, Cousin Eddie, who's like third removed, that shows up on Christmas. You know, I, I'm, I'm the guy that can walk into, walk into the house and say, hey, Dad, how you doing? You know, I have, the, I have a great relationship with my dad. I'm not, uh, I, my dad and I, it's not like a tense relationship. I just call him up, hey, what do you think about this? How, how do you think, you know, what do you think about this? My dad, he, even when he, was, he would be struggling financially, he'd be like, is there anything you guys need? Is there anything you, you guys need? Can I send something for the girls? You, you guys doing okay? I'm like, and, and he's, he could be struggling financially and barely making it, but he'd still, I'll send you some money. Because he cared enough about his family to sacrifice for that. But isn't that the father? That he cared enough about his family that he sacrificed his own son to, to say, you know what, I don't care that you have done wrong. As a kid, I, I screwed up a lot. My father doesn't care that I did wrong because he still calls me and says, hey, do you need anything? So the, father, the Heavenly Father didn't care that we did wrong. He said, I'm going to still sacrifice even though this is a huge sacrifice. I'm going to send my son so we can be together, that I can give you something. So sin took us out of deployment of God as an ambassador, as a ruler of earth to an employee of the enemy. 
How many of you guys have ever read the prodigal son, the parable, well, the story of the prodigal son? You guys read that. There's something very, very powerful about that. Um, it's, it shows you the heart of the father and the sin of man. But it shows you something great, greater than that. Um, That parable shows the heart of the Father's love towards us, even while we were sinners. He was planning on sending Christ Jesus. Even those people who were sinning before Christ Jesus came, he goes, I'm going to send my son for them. The prodigal son, if you guys don't know the story, basically his father, and he, he's a, a wealthy landowner, any of these parables that Jesus told was always about the kingdom. And he's talking about a father, and he says, his father had two sons, and they both had an inheritance. One son was a hard worker and, and loved his father and wanted to be with him. The other one said, I want my inheritance now. And he went out and he blew it on booze, women, and video games. And, I mean, yeah, the equivalent of booze, women, and video games. And he found himself broke, and he had no money. He literally sold everything he had to buy food. And then he found himself with no money that he was living with pigs, eating scraps and whatever he could get before the pigs got to it. And he says to himself, he says, you know what? I'm going to go back to my father's house and beg him just to be a servant. I'm going to beg him just to be a servant. And some of the translations say that when he was heading back, the father saw him from afar. What does that mean? The father saw him from afar. That, that means he was looking for him. He was looking for his son to come back. That means he was waiting there. It says he saw him from the door, which was probably the door. In most of those times, most wealthy people had compounds. Walls around their, it was farmland or in the, most of their houses. had. So that means he was standing at the gate of his house or of his, his area waiting for his son. Most likely he did that daily. The father was waiting every day for his son to, son to say, come back, let me restore you to what you were. Let me restore you to the son that I had, not the, the beggar that's wallowing in the, the hog slop. His father knew who he was. The son had lost sight of, of his identity. His son had lost sight of who he was and in the, in the, in the true riches and wealth that he had in his father. Not taking it for granted as, as a money thing, but he forgot the, the status and the ability and the power that his father had. So his father is waiting at the gate for him, to complete, wanting to restore him. Our father is waiting for us to take a place in the family. But we have to identify who the family is. We have to know who we are in order to take place at the family table. We have to understand who he is. If we can understand who he is, we'll understand who we are. So we can take a place and seat at the seated at the table with him. 
the son goes, at least I can be a servant in his house. At least I can be, at least I'll be fed. I may have a, a hut to live in, but at least I won't be laying out here with pigs. No money, begging for food. At least I can be a servant in his house. John 15, 15 says, I do not call you servants any longer. Servants don't know what the master is doing, but I have told you everything the father has said to me. I call you friends. This kid goes, I want to come back to my father's house. At least I know I'll have food. I'll be a servant in his house. And he says, I'm going to go back. And the father sees him from afar, from a great distance. And he runs to him. And he brings him back. And what is the first thing he does? He takes that son and he puts a ring on his finger. That ring sig signifies power, authority. It's a symbol of the family's, of his right to be in the family. It's an, uh, when there was a wealthy landowner or a wealthy person, each one of their family members would have a ring or some kind of identification that they had the power. So they could go to the market, they could go to a place where they needed to buy something and show that person that ring. And those shop owners would know that that ring was a, a symbol of that landowner or that father's ability to pay for that. So, that ring was a symbol of sonship. A son, that ring was a symbol of our, our, our son and daughtership in Christ. So the father is, is waiting for him. He sees his son coming and he says, you know what, I'm getting, he sees him, he grabs him, he brings him in, he's kissing his face, he's hugging him and saying, where have you been? Where? But he puts a ring on his hand. He instantly takes him back and says, your identity is now this. Your identity is now my son, not the beggar walking up to the house. The son was coming back as a beggar, but the father saw him as, as a son. So how, how much more does our father see us as a son and a daughter than this father did? But we've got to quit coming to God like a stinking beggar who's begging for money and walk in and say, I'm home. The father brings him in and he says, gives him a ring, gives him a robe, kill the cow, eaten and he sets him at the table but so many times we think of of the father as if i could just serve him but god's like i want you to identify as a son i want to I, I want to know you as a son and daughter i want you to know me as a father not just the master i want you to come to me and not just like, Master, can I have this? Master, please, please give me something. The prodigal son thought, if I can just serve him, and the father was like, you can't serve me. You're my son. Identify as my son. He had to re... I don't know how to say this. He had to take his son and give him a new identity when he came back. 
he had to give him back, give him new things in order to be a son again. Because I guarantee you, he didn't leave that house with no robe and no ring. I guarantee you, he sold the robe and the ring when he had no money. So when he came back in, he's like, you know what? This is my son. I see something in him that is my son. It doesn't look like my son normally when he left. But he says, I'm going to put a robe, I'm going to put a ring on him, and then people will know that he is my son. I guarantee you, most people, when he was walking there, didn't realize who he was because he was so disheveled and so messed up. They may not have known who he was. Some people may have. But the father didn't care who he was or what his background was. He says, this is my son. I'm going to put a robe and a ring on him and I'm going to bring him into the table, into the family where he belongs. The son had to learn how to be a son again. So many times we know how to be the workers in the fields, but we don't know how to be the sons and the daughters in the house. You know, we're servants of, of, of Christ. Paul says, I am a bondservant of Christ. I am a slave to Christ. I'm a slave to righteousness. So many times we identify ourselves as slaves and bondservants and, and servants in the field, but we can't identify ourselves as the sons and daughters in the house of the Most High God that has room for us to be in that house. We are workers in the field because Jesus says the fields are ripe for harvest. But that is not our title. That is what we do. Our title is not workers. Our title are sons and daughters. But we work in the fields because the fields are ripe for harvest. We can't always think, how can I, how can I just serve him? How can I just serve him? How can I just serve him? God's like, I want you to serve me, but I want you to be with me. I want you to, how do you build a relationship with your kids? You spend time with them. How do you spend time, how do you get to know somebody? You spend time with them. If you had a a child and it's a baby and you never did anything with it, never, and had somebody take care of it, and that person took care of it the entire time, how would it know that it is your son or your daughter? and has rights to come to you as a son or a daughter. But that's what the fall was. The fall was man being taken care of by somebody else, enslaved in sin, being taken care of by somebody else, and then not knowing who the father was, having to come to the father. So if we identify as servants, and we don't know, and we, we never come and identify ourselves as, as sons and daughters. How are we supposed to learn from our Father, relate to our Father, hear from our Father? The son went from a pauper mindset, went from, excuse me, he went from a prince mindset to a pauper mindset, back to a prince mindset. He went from son to slave to son. But what happens is a lot of Christians, when, they're born, when people are born again, they have, that sla- they have a slave mentality. They're born again. God's like, You're a, you, have, you, you need to have a son mentality. But they continue their slave mentality till the day they die and they don't know who, what rights they have. They expect to be treated and abused and, and, and misused. And God's like, that's not how, what happens in my house. That's not what happens in my family. 
So when we're born again, God's like, you need to recalibrate what you do. You need to think. I've created you new. Start thinking like a son. Start thinking like a prince. So many times we think of God as king instead of father. Yeah, he is king. But he is our father. So when we come to God, do you not think a a, a prince could go to his father and ask something even though he was the son? They didn't make a difference. It didn't make a difference if the king was, if his son was a prince or not a prince, he could still go to his father. But it says that we're a royal priesthood. It means that we are, that we are, Jesus was our high priest, or is our high priest, excuse me. That means that we're also priests. But it also means that the father is so attuned to his sons and daughters that, you know, I call my kids, I got two, and I call them the wrong name. If you got more than two, you know you call the kids the wrong name at the, right, at the wrong time. I'll, I'll answer the phone and be like, who is this? I can't tell my kids apart anymore. Because they're both around, you know, they're both, their voices are about the same. And I'm like, is this Lana? Is this Layla? The father doesn't do that though. The moment that we call out to him, he goes, oh, I know that. I know that voice. I know that voice. But how much more does he want us to do that? When he calls out to us and say, oh, I know that voice. He wants us to be able to identify as his son. So when he says, hey, you, whatever your name is. He knows your name. I'm not saying what, not, he doesn't say, hey, you, whatever your name is. He says, hey, I love you. This is who you are. This is what I've given you. He relates to it. You can go, oh, that's God. He just said that about me. He's happy with me. He's pleased with me. He cares about me. He wants me to be in a relationship with him. He wants me to relate to him and connect with him. So instead of relating to him as king, we need to relate to him as father. He is our king and we serve our king, but he is our father first of all. And we got to quit relating to Jesus just as our Savior. Yes, he came and he saved us. And how amazing is that? That when he died, the sins were wiped away. But he is our brother. He is our high priest. He is the one that we can go to and say, hey, isn't our father good? Isn't he amazing? Hey, big brother, thank you for doing what you did for me. Man, isn't this amazing what our father did for us? identifying as a, as a son, identify as a child of the house of God and quit standing out on the side of the home saying, give me some money, we'll work for God's love. But that, that's, our culture is that way. It's either God is angry or we have to do so much to get his love. And that's not how it should be. I've had so many people tell me, oh, I just, you know, I got to get things figured out. I got to get things right before I go to church. Because their mindset says God is only going to love me when I'm good enough. But God's waiting from a distance. He's waiting at the door saying, I see him. He's scummy. He's covered in pig poop. And I love him. And I'm going to bring him in. So we got to quit coming to God like, well, I got to get this figured out. And once I get this figured out, I'll, give it, I'll tell God that I love him and I'll serve him. Because I, who would love me if I was like this? 
Who would love me with my past? But God says, your past doesn't mean anything to you. Because when, when you come in, I wipe the pig poop off and make you white as snow. The father, I guarantee you, didn't just throw a robe on him. He probably said, let's get him cleaned up. He didn't just bring him in and say, you know, hey, here's a ring and a robe. You're covered in whatever. Sit you at the table. He he probably got a a big bath ready for him, cleaned him up, shaved his face, combed his hair, you know, manicure, pedicure, whatever. Cleaned him up and said, now let's put a clean robe on you. You get a brief description of it, but the father doesn't just cover up the old. He washes it away. And when he washes it away, he gives us new identity. Hebrews 2.11 says, For he who sanctifies those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call us brothers. Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. We all have family, and we all have some family that's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I, you don't want to talk to them because that's the weird side of the family. And if, they, if you're hung out with them, you're, you're in trouble. They're, you're either going to get stabbed, beat up, shot, or something if you hang out with that side of the family. We all got that crazy side of the family that's kind of like, oh, that one, that one set of cousins that's like really, really rough, and you're just like, we can't go over their house. They fist fighting in the parking lot, you know. That you're like, yeah, I don't want to be seen with them. But Jesus says, I'm not ashamed to call you brother. I'm not ashamed to call you sister. No matter how rough you were, no matter how crazy your family was, I'm not ashamed to call you brother because my father, when he brings you in, he doesn't just cover up the old. He washes it away and brings new. He doesn't doesn't say, okay, well, that old robe, pretty ratty. Let's just cover it up with a new robe. He says, no, we're going we're gonna to take it off, we're going wash to wash you clean, and we're going to put a new robe on. Jesus isn't ashamed of us. So why are we so afraid of the Father? Jesus is the one that was the bridge between the gap of our sin and the Father. If he's not ashamed of us, would the Father be ashamed of us? No. Because Jesus, when the Father looks at us, he sees us as he sees Jesus. Perfect, holy, blameless, spotless. Because we are washed in his blood. Our identity is wrapped up in Jesus. Everything that God is, has for us is wrapped up in Jesus because Jesus is, his blood encapsulates everything that was the old nature, the sin that we had in our life, is wrapped up in Jesus. And we have to unwrap that gift that Jesus has given us. So many people love salvation, but they don't take the rest of the gifts that come with salvation. They take that salvation, it's like, ah, oh, I'm going to heaven at the end, hallelujah. Hopefully, the re- hopefully tribulation doesn't happen, but I'm going to heaven when I'm done. And God's like, there's more to that gift than just going to heaven at the end. There, there's more to salvation than just well when i die i go to heaven hallelujah it may be hell on earth but i'm going to heaven someday glory hallelujah you know i look at so many of these old songs and spiritual songs and I'm like oh it's just miserable on earth and everything's horrible and and woe is me and you know 
you know, locust and, and flies and, and, and plagues, and, and, but I'm going to heaven. And God's like, that doesn't, that's not how it works. The gift of Jesus, the salvation which is the gift from Jesus is to bring heaven to our lives. Not, oh, this sucks, I can't wait to go to heaven. I mean, there's, there, there's so much out there that's just like, well, you know, at least we get to go to heaven when we're done. And God's like, I want you to have heaven now. I want you to identify as my son and my daughter so that can be released into your life so you don't have to wait for heaven. That heaven is just the final destination and we're glad we're going there, but we can have the blessing of God and the family of God and the things that are in the house of God in our lives today. Our lives are not to be lived as paupers begging for God or as the son asking to be a servant. Oh, at least I can be a servant. God says, no, come to me and identify with me. Know that I am your father. Because when you know that he's your father, you identify as, oh, my kids don't come up to me and go, hey, mister, can I have a glass of milk or can I go to a friend's house? They're like, dad, can I go? Can I go to their house? They, they identify as my children. So let's identify as his children. So when we need something, we say, hey, dad, I, I, I need this. He's like, yeah, go for it. Have it. What's mine is yours. That's the rights we have as his children. They can't have everything of mine. My kids can't. But they can't have my car. Um, they're not old enough to drive it yet. But God says, whatever I have on the table in the banquet hall is for you. Come and take it. Don't knock at the door and wait. Anybody home? Jesus, 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 Jesus. You there? Just walk in. Just walk in and take it and say, I need your peace. I need your, your, your understanding. Yeah. I need your joy. Mm-hmm. I need it now instead of waiting at the thing and waiting for somebody to come out. Hey, is anybody in there? I need to get in there. God says, you're my son and my daughter. Walk in the door. He stands at the door and knocks waiting for us to let him in. We don't have to stand at the door and knock waiting for him to let us in. Because the moment we let him in, the doors are flung wide open for us to walk in. Let's pray.